0: Hello, thank you for joining me. This is Ernestine Lyons, host of Quick to Politic, the podcast, the social commentary show that explores topics ranging from social justice to history, economics, small business, and of course, local and national politics. Thank you for joining me. Thank you so much, Randy Wimbley, for joining me today.
1: No doubt. and
0: uh, Yeah. So um, you are a reporter with Fox 2 News. So tell me a little bit more about yourself and your journey to being a journalist and, you know, being media savvy and somebody who is in a front-facing role all the time and having to work in a fast-paced environment. So because it, it, it seems like it can be chaotic, but yet at the same time, rewarding.
1: Yeah, very much so. It can be uh, chaotic, and at times it's more chaotic than rewarding, I suppose. Um, but I'm from the area, born in Detroit, raised in uh, Southfield, graduated from uh, Harrison out in Farmington Hills, um, and that's where I kind of got the idea while at Harrison to to go into TV news. We had somewhat of a role-playing assignment uh, my senior year for a government class, and I had to, I guess, pretend that I was a, the governor or something, and so. I was like at the uh this little panel they had set up in the classroom and just saying, you know, what we need to do is spur economic development. And I was just just joking around. And Mrs. Leach, the teacher, she said, Randy, you, you do that really well. And I'm thinking, do what? I'm 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 just making the mockery of this assignment is what I'm doing. But um I just kind of uh, thought about coupling that. Uh, I guess the theatrics, if you will, with um, a passion for storytelling, and for writing. And I'm not sure how exactly I put the two together and said, maybe I can make an honest living doing TV news. And and that that was really it. That was really it. And so, yeah.
0: Okay, so so it came out of like something that it wasn't like when you were giving, oh, I, you know, I've always wanted to do this. It was like, wow i enjoy it so you kind of stumbled upon something that became all right i love this this is this is the thing and you know you were encouraged by somebody um so i actually wanted to also ask a question about pretty much like being a part of this every single day you guys are out there you know working hard and you know you're, you're on the front lines how do you decompress and how do you sort of you know, de- detach from some of the, you know, more traumatic things that happen, you know, while reporting.
1: Yeah, so it just kind of happened naturally. I remember uh, my first full time job working up in Saginaw, um, the Saginaw Bay City Flint market. And I think I was covering a murder up there. Uh, and I believe the victim was uh, a kid, if I recall correctly, because that was what, maybe 12? 13 years ago at this point. Um, and something just sort of clicked because I covered a, a few shootings and homicides up until that point uh, starting out. But something sort of clicked. And I just kind of said unconsciously, I have to detach and sort of compartmentalize to a certain degree, right? Um, what I experience and what I'm covering at work. And when I go home now, granted, then I didn't have a wife and four kids as I do now, but there was just somewhat like something of an of an unconscious uh sort of acknowledgement that I can't sort of allow myself to be too emotionally tied into what I'm seeing day in and day out. You know, kind of covering just um the more tragic stories that we tend to cover, and so and, and that 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 can be. Um, I can imagine a bad thing because it, if you see that too often, you can get perhaps a bit jaded and then you compartmentalize to the, uh, to the point where you're sort of very much detached and you lack empathy, you, can't really, you don't really have any compassion. So I, even though I, I decided that I needed to compartmentalize some things, I also sort of decided that I can't fully detach and kind of lose my humanity or detach my humanity from what I'm seeing Um, on a fairly regular basis and still, and just even um, just my faith being a Christian, uh, I can never really be someone who lacks compassion. And so, and just knowing that that at times I just have to put some, you know, just safeguards up uh, so that, you know, I'm not overwhelmed or that, you know, one does not become overwhelmed just seeing and covering certain things uh, so, so often. And so it's somewhat of a balancing act, holding on to that compassion and empathy and everything else while also um, learning how to put up some, uh, some guards in the compartmentalized to a certain extent.
0: All right, thank you, thank you. Because I often wonder, like, you know, I remember watching recently, Jessica Dukeneck was uh, downtown covering like one of the early Detroit city protests And there was, you know, there was some sort of smoke, toxic, you know, uh, substance that was thrown, you know, at police and reporters. And she was kind of standing where the police were. And, you know, it was just like looking at um, that whole thing unfurl. And then she's, you know, right back at work the next day. And, you know, I've seen the same thing where, you know, traumatic things are happening and you guys can just just go right back to it. Um, You know, I I think it's important that, you know, you did say, Um, your bit there about how you feel like and sometimes you can lose your sense of humanity and you know because you're looking at things and you're trying to you know not take it home to your family and four kids oh my gosh that they must be adorable um (laughs) and um yeah it's um, I would imagine it, it it's difficult for for everyday people to be able to relate to you know just how tough this job particularly is
1: sure and I want to be clear it's, it's not nearly as tough as say an ER doctor or nurses in the you know in the emergency department or firefighters and, and medics and police officers who are seeing far worse far more often you know a lot often than I, as a reporter will ever see uh, what they see and what they experience. So I, I want to make sure I have that sort of caveat when we kind of talk about this, but at the same time, one, um, especially talking about like when dupneck was covering the protests, I uh, covered them uh, quite a bit as well. And when things, you know, would uh, escalate and got a little hairy. Uh, and, and so one, you're in the moment, you, you know what I mean? So there's somewhat like uh, a,
0: yeah, it's, it's like okay, you have to almost like think on your feet and like, OK, well, what am I going to do next? How do I, I still keep the integrity of this interview and then let people know what's going on? Exactly. So in some ways, um, you know, this this is one of my other questions about, you know, how a lot of people are social media kind of, you know, um, I don't know what, what, what the influencers who want to be kind of like social justice warriors who also want to inform people and kind of like using the the art of telling the story at the same time of informing people. And I think we're at kind of like a precipice of, this is a, a sort of merged genre that's becoming something that you see a lot of people like TikTok, you know, on TikTok telling stories and, you know, they're they're the middle of things. And, you know, um, but at the same time, you guys as journalists, you know, have the training, you have, you know, the investigation skills and so that kind of leads into another question of like it's two-part question so how do you merge sort of you know that that emerging new type of media um with you know just old school journalistic you know just going out and covering events um how much of that social media you know presence has to play into what you guys are currently doing and i think This is going to be a follow-up question, so I'll just let you um, uh, answer that first part of it, because I think that's a a heavy one in
1: itself. Um, So social media is uh, becoming increasingly important, especially just when you talk about um, engaging our viewers, because they're not just, you know, sitting around waiting for the 11 o'clock news, for the 5 the 6 o'clock news, etc. They're getting the the information online, uh, social media, Twitter. Um, Facebook, Instagram, so you want to have a, a presence there and use it to uh engage viewers to inform viewers and so I think it's um in one being in you know the news business, right you want to kind of drive them back always drive them back to the actual like newscast or what have you or the app or where they can find the story, but trying to trying to inform them give them a taste of a story, but while also. Um, make sure that you're sticking to just those old school journalistic rules and what have you. And it's interesting that you noted it, that um, we're seeing sort of the rise of the informer, influencer, if you will. And, And it's interesting, some of the conversations that are happening, even within like just mainstream old school news industry, like in the news industry and what have you. Uh, especially once the national protests began and someone raising the question about reporters and journalists of color, have just sticking to that norm and that rule of being neutral and and how that is some would argue and and many did argue, and I can't recall the article uh, where they raised this point, how that is often detrimental for journalists of color because you almost have to give, um, at times, credence to, to the both sides of an issue um, so as to avoid appearing biased and what have you. But at the same time, um, and just to, to segue from that or to jump from that to the informer, influencer, that, that rise of that sort of personality in those entities uh, right now in social media, they don't really have the same rules that to abide by that we have to abide by. You know what I mean? And so that doesn't mean that folks in, in the news, in Yeah.
0: in their approach.
1: Right, right. And so and that doesn't mean that, that at times uh, folks in the, news, in the news industry, they don't at times fall short of those uh, standards and rules and in ethics of news gathering and news telling and news reporting, right? But you, you're always striving to stay in that zone and there's something to sort of hold one accountable. And so I think that's something that, that people would do well to be mindful of when they talk about just like you know the mainstream media and abolish the old gatekeepers which there's always room for what is it disruption and innovation and what have you but at the same yeah yeah but at the same time those um gatekeepers are there for a reason right you think about a gatekeeper a gate it's it's a protect. You know what I mean. When it's when you for re- it's, it's up, there for a reason. Yeah.
0: Thing of, I always like as a you know a newly elected official, I always emphasize to people. You know, there are policies and procedures, and I know that you may want to demand. And I think maybe uh, I'm a millennial, and I think Gen Gen Z is like we want change now. But it's like okay, there are policies, there are procedures. You need to go through a process in order to make things happen. And, you know, the gates are there for a reason. And you set up these structures because for the most part, things follow certain flows because it just kind of keeps, it keeps not only the peace but it also keeps, you know, order.
1: Bingo. Exactly. Exactly. And to that point, point, the one that I was raising earlier about the gatekeepers and what have you in the rise of the influencer, uh, informer and what have you. When you remove, so to speak, um, the gatekeepers of the news industry in the news industry in general, when that is weakened to such an extent where it doesn't have the sort of uh, influence, if you will, that it had in previous years, I think you will see Slowly but surely a lot more information that is widely proliferated and accepted. You know what I mean? So one of the one of the things that's really on the horizon right now, and we've seen bits of it, things called deep fakes. Are you familiar um, with that?
0: Yes, yes. Deep yes. fakes with yes. you know, you, you just don't know where the source is coming from and you can't even right. really trust it because it does look reputable or real.
1: Bingo. And so because we are moving to the point where it's common and sort of into and I don't want to say it in, in like a, a snarky way or anything but it's somewhat in vogue to to distrust everything so to speak when when you when you look at something like deep fakes and what have you and when you scoff at old school things like simple like fact checking you you know what I mean right that that I think we're we're going to be particularly susceptible to a lot of misinformation if we don't sort of slow down a bit, try to return to, okay, is this really true? And, and, and so, so, so sort of like a microcosm of this conversation, when you talk about deep fakes, it's just so, how often and so often that um, misinformation is spread via social media, how people believe poorly constructed memes over actual evidence and experts and so forth and so on. Now, that doesn't mean that experts, you know, they're not to be challenged or they're beyond critique. That's not at all what I'm suggesting. But when you, when we can kind of see that misinformation is so widely accepted, and, and you know what I mean? And faulty information it's, it's is
0: taken, it's taken on, on its face, or like in the yeah, face exactly. of how you do it where, versus. This. And that kind of leads into my other question, which is about journalistic integrity. You know, they say that, you know, they're there's there's this term that's floating around out there and has been for a few years, particularly since, you know, uh, the election of, you know, uh, the president in 2016. They say that, you know, the death of the fourth estate is sort of something that has taken away journalistic integrity. And, you know, it's also taken away that sense of, you know, I was watching a movie Spotlight last night about the Boston Globe in 2001 uncovering yeah you know, just, just this whole ring of, you know, lies and deceit, um, you know, that the Catholic, Catholic Church had perpetrated. And this was journalists going after a, you know, a story doggedly. And, you know, this is something that it kind of makes you wonder, like, how much of, you know, the job as a television news reporter is, you know, journalistic? And what are your thoughts on the death of the Fourth Estate? And, you know, why, you know, understanding why you have to keep the integrity and why the gates have to be kept as opposed to having these informer influencers who kind of come in and just say, this is what it is when really there's no research behind it. There's no facts that have been checked. How do you, you know, really keep the fourth estate alive so that there is accountability, so that there is a sense of, okay, well, we are journalists, we are professionals You can trust us because we are the non-biased, you know, part that is here to keep you know, not only elected officials accountable, but you know, to keep the system um, there because th- there's a reason why it's called the Fourth Estate, because you have your government, and then you have you know this this other factor that, and they work in tandem to check each other.
1: Yeah, yeah. And so, um, I think for one, the the Fourth Estate, it isn't dead. I, I, I'm I'm not one to ever believe or to it's not dead. Um, it's yeah exactly right it's changing it's uh, undergoing a lot of change um and withstanding a, a great deal of change but uh the journalistic integrity is crucial and and just even you you mentioned spotlight uh and just what the boston globe did what maybe hmm, 15 20 years ago i can't remember exactly what 20 when years that. ago now. okay 20 years ago
0: 2001
1: okay there we go okay and what, yeah Um, and just like the need to devote and devote more resources towards just more investigative reporting if a story warrants like deeper probes to be able to make room for that to happen but with the change uh in in tv viewing habits radio listening habits um newspaper readership right all of that is sort of shrinking and the, the trouble just that the news industry is having is when that shrinks, revenue shrinks, and now there is not that much, you know, resources to go around to to invest in some of these things in the way that different news outlets and companies used to invest in them. And so, just sort of uh, sticking to just those old school journalistic uh, rules and what have you is uh, is crucial. It's crucial because even though um. Uh, the news media, news business is often lambasted, you know, the mainstream media and everything. Um, people still expect, they still expect, even though they may not trust many news or some news organizations and so forth and so on, people still expect that what they're hearing from the news uh, is true, right? Maybe we can't get to the absolute bottom. Right. Of a particular issue or a story. But we're going to try to chip away at it and get to it slowly and slowly. But we're going to cover this stuff as extensively as we can and do so in a way that uh, hopefully, and prayerfully, fair, um, balanced, uh, nuanced. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's something that just <laughs> the past you know decade or two has really been going out of the window just in society in general. Right. Yeah. Nuance nuance and so um it's important just to kind of have all of that there and so while also recognizing that you know in breaking news situations you have to report what you see what's there the atmosphere you, you know what i mean and in sort of kind of taking all of that into consideration and just being as uh astute and diligent and judicious as one can be within the confines of Uh, whatever you're covering in the circumstances surrounding it.
0: Okay. Thank you. I really really appreciate that because, you know, I think that's something that, you know, people always say like, Oh, if it bleeds, it bleeds. And then you're just going to go after that. And I wonder how much of that is, you know, okay, we're trying to keep up viewership. We're trying to keep up, you know, people watching the, the, you know, because there are four different networks here in the Metro Detroit area that are, you know, having, you know, like nightly newscasts, if, or three of them, not mistaken. Three, three. And, you know, it, you you do have to, you know, find the stories and that balance um, between entertainment and between shock value and sensationalism and in between, you know, just kind of making sure that people are, you know, being informed so that, that kind of leads me to another question about, um, you know, we talked about investigative reporting. Infotainment has actually seen a rise. You know, you, when you talk about people like uh, John Oliver and Hassan Minhaj mm-hmm. and Trevor Noah, where these are comedians reporting right. on the news and they're giving this sort of humorous take on actual issues and they're kind of pushing the envelope in new and innovative ways that. I think you know this is when I was in college. I noticed the rise of things like The Daily Show, where they were yes. really pushing the envelope, and you know they were starting movements where you know they were calling Congress people and making them be more accountable. And I know that John Oliver and Hasan Minhaj, in particular, they do a lot of investigative reporting, and mm-hmm. you know they mm-hmm. talk about genocide and injustice that are that are happening all over the world. And I know recently uh, John Oliver talked about Xinjiang in China and you know, the Uyghur people um, yeah. and you know, just some of the injustices there. So um, what is your take on that as a genre? Um, and maybe it's sort of competing influence over traditional journalism and traditional newscasts as far as information and people.
1: Right. right. I think for one, in the grand scheme of things, I think that there's more pros than cons, right? And one of the, one of the ways that I kind of think about it, is it's sort of um, the benefits that one has as an outsider, right? When they're tackling or doing something that's not necessarily or wasn't supposed to be their lane. And they can find success and not just like a a superficial success, right? But actual success in doing so because they're coming in as an outsider and they're not really constrained by all of the, the, the rules that those on the inside are accustomed to so to right. speak, and I, and I think one of um, the biggest example I think that we have uh, locally of that, or at least in, in recent years, is uh, my buddy, Charlie Leduff, the former Fox 2 reporter, right? Now, now, mm-hmm. now, one, let me just say this first. Charlie is like a, a heck of a reporter as far as his investigative skills. He's incredibly sharp-minded, a very smart guy, but what made him, because his star really rose once he got to Fox 2, And the reason I think it did, because he was a print guy. He was used to doing some TV, but like in a different sort of us category or like a style of it, but not traditional local TV news. So when he came to TV as this print news guy, incredibly smart, gifted, a phenomenal writer, you you know what I mean? Um, A good grasp of history. uh, And he was able to come in with his quirks and like just his personality, who he was. He was able to come into TV news, not bound by the constraints in the culture, in the mores, so to speak, of TV news. So when he came in, and he was doing his stories. It didn't seem like traditional TV news. It wasn't TV news speak. It wasn't the traditional TV news style. And it really hit, right? Because it was just that that sort of um, phenomenon where you have an outsider coming into something new and they're not bound. You know what I mean? By those constraints that the insiders are bound to.
0: He already had so much clout from the outside. So there was no, okay, well you really have to do good and be good at what, you know, we have trained you to be good in. And you know, he comes in as this outsider who's able to put his own spin in. And I think that's where you kind of talked about disruptive innovation earlier. You know, you come in as a disruptor because of the fact that you already have you know, made that sort of name for yourself and you, you already had that sort of, you know, um, clout out there and right. people trust you and they trust information coming from you. So the, the delivery style doesn't so much matter as much as say, you know, for, for a newbie or somebody who, you know, worked their way, you know, up in the traditional ways.
1: Yeah, but, but I would say that the delivery style, um, it was incredible, like for someone like LaDuff, and even when you see, um, like the, the examples that you first brought up, John Oliver, you know, The Daily Show. Mm-hmm. It worked because they came in and said, we don't have to do it this way. We don't have to do, you know what I mean? And so, like, so take Charlie, when he first started doing these stories in the way that he did them, along with just the traditional news gathering, news reporting, right? But the way that he did it, it so illustrated the point that he was making so vividly and so clearly and so uniquely that it was it was phenomenal. It was really, really, really. And it made for good TV news. Even And it wasn't traditional TV news, you know. And so in the same way you look at John Oliver's, um, I guess the Samantha B would, would definitely fit that that role yeah, yeah. Uh,
0: yeah. daily show alumni and you daily, know because exactly. they all come from that same school of you know we are fake news and that's the way they used to call themselves before it became something that you know um, right, the president right. kind of made a, a misnomer so um you know this is this is like a style of like you were saying you know oh we're we're we don't have to play by those rules we're going right. to make it something completely different but then a long the way they became kind of a source for millennials like myself to like, I'm watching traditional news. I'm going to go to the John Oliver and get my information. So, you know, I think that's, that's kind of an interesting phenomenon, um, that, that kind of happened. And so I think last decade and now, you know, Mm -hmm. we're, we're kind of like, I think the twenties are going to be defined by this evolution of journalism and reporting and how people get their information. So um, I think kind of one of my last questions um, I wanted to ask about is, you know, my, I see myself kind of in, in, that, in that kind of realm with uh, Quicks Politic, which is a social commentary web series and a podcast, yeah. um, you know, where I just, my, my goal is to inform people. My goal is to, you know, let people know what, what powers they have. And I feel like, you know, there's agency to be had in understanding, you know, what kind of power you have, and you know you can't, you don't wait around for, you know, professionals or, or politicians to make your reality for you. You go out there and you, you, if it doesn't exist, you create it. So I want to be able to encourage people to, you know, create their own paths um, by informing them, by getting their thoughts going and wheels turning. Um, and I really like to, you know, ask professionals like yourself, like how do you make people feel more at ease? you know, when you're interviewing them. And, you know, because I'm looking to improve my style of, you know, just interview and then also, you know, still still stay kind of like true to myself. Um, And, you know, because in some ways, like, you know, doing YouTube videos that just inform people about languages and international um, affairs, um, I, I can be you know, kind of silly and bubbly. But, you know, at the same time, I do want to kind of have some of that journalistic integrity um, and, you know, keep that balance. So how do you, you know, as far as interviewing people, what are some strategies and what are some, what, some advice mm. that you would give someone who was maybe fresh out of journalism school? Because that's was sure. my original major sure, and then sure. I a, you know, uh, foreign policy. So, nice. um, yeah, what would be your advice or for someone wanting to, you know, make people feel more at ease and
1: improve their interviewing styles. And so let me tackle. I just want to make one last point about the uh, the previous question, the, the yeah. rise of, uh, you know, um, the different forms of uh, news reporting and what have you, like the uh, daily shows, etc. I think one of the critiques, if I can offer one without being seen as like a, a hater or a hack, right? I think one of the critiques, and it's not like I'm, I'm trying to be. Overly critical, but that some would make is that it either, and I guess they would make this critique of any news organization nowadays, that it leans either too far left or it leans too far right. So, Waters World would be another example on Fox News. He um, may, may not be as rigorous as far as investigative stuff like The Daily Show, right? But somewhat somewhat sort of in that lane with the it's comedic it's humorous etc but many it, it leans way right right the the crit, the critique on the john oliver is that it perhaps leans too left.
0: To left yeah, yeah. it means
1: too left and so and and so um i think the next wave will be to a certain extent i think we may be seeing the rise of it with uh with some other outlets perhaps it's just something that's a, a bit more balanced right it doesn't take shots at just the liberals it doesn't take shots at just conservatives but it it try stri- it strives to be uh as
0: centrist and as moderate. centrist is
1: moderate as, as not so much neutral but it strives to be as balanced as possible it, stri- it strives to be balanced as possible and that leading to your other your, your other question uh what can folks sort of uh getting into it I guess keeping keep in mind or that would help them my thing is um, your passions right and you talked a bit before about bias and, and here's the thing everyone has bias so the, the this notion and and it wasn't just a notion back in the day because from what I understand there were some very old-school reporters and journals and what have you some of them from what I've heard didn't even vote because they didn't want to be biased in any sort of way
0: right. even That's avoided I mean. voting yeah Cronkite and like I remember like you look at 60s news media reels and you look at you know all of these these you know old school guys like Peter James you don't really know where they stand either way but you watch news now and no matter what n- network you're watching or whether it's cable news or just regular news you kind of know where people stand by and, and large. But
1: well, to a certain extent, to a certain extent, I think it's more so with like uh, it, it's it's a lot easier to spot with certain shows and anchors. Right. But just for the rank and file, just regular news shows, I think it's not as easy to sort of discern that. But the, the point that I was uh, going to try to get to was that when you talk about bias, everyone has them. Everyone has, you know, some form of bias. But I think um What goes along with that is if you're biased, perhaps about something, you're maybe a bit more informed about the subject that you, because it may, maybe my hypothesis fails there, but just one of my thoughts is that some folks, if given some of their biases, right, their biases, they may be a bit more informed on certain issues that they're passionate about that others are not as informed about you know what i mean so right so my thing is allow that to not influence your reporting not to influence your interviewing um or your news gathering but to inform it let that your makes, biases makes, inform you know you 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 know your are gathering your reporting you're interviewing and so you know so like I, i'm a christian right so i uh I'd like to think that I have a, a fairly firm theological foundation. I, I know a little bit about the good book. <laughs> you, you, you know what I mean? So mm-hmm. many would say, would say well, he, he's just a, a, a biased guy, but I have to sort of constrain that when I'm doing certain stories, maybe involving the church or religion or, or whatever, but I can still sort of tap into that because I'm knowledge- I have some knowledge in this area. And let me bring that to bear, not so much the perspective, but the understanding, the knowledge, the nuance, right? The insight, bring it to bear on a story as opposed to overbearing, you know, and, and unduly influencing a story. And so that, that's just one thought that I have that I sort of uh, toy with and um, kind of reframing my mind every now and again, allowing passions and biases and et cetera to inform what you're doing as opposed to to influencing it um, or unduly influencing um, interviews and, and, and reporting and the like.
0: I love that. I love that answer because in some ways, um, you know, I, I sat down with someone and I was wondering like, okay, well, how do I ask this question without, you know, having my by a show and, and I think you're right because sometimes the curiosity that you'll have you know in in your example you know say say maybe you are you know an avid environmentalist and you know you're talking to someone who you know kind of claims that global warming is a hoax or something and you are you know just kind of hmm. now I'm curious to know why they would think this way without having it kind of show up and you know just I think I think I think you know, and, and your your advice is to kind of have those biases inform how you go about gathering that story and how you look at it in a way, of, in a, from a perspective of being very curious about why they have that perspective. Um, I think that can, it could be good advice for just us in general, living in the times that we live in where, you know, there is not a lot of objectivity, you know, um, you know, we, we are just kind of all or nothing. And, you know, I think... You know, I was watching some sort of thing on the internet that was just talking about a contingency um, uh, going down a historical timeline if the internet had never been exist, if never been invented, and it just kind of came up with this alternate world where print sources like magazines and newspapers were thriving, and you know you would get your information from reputable sources, and there were no counter sort of, and so it's almost like you're only getting facts from, you know, multiple discourse, researched perspectives, and there's more of that free flowing sort of researched, debated, and you talk your point, I talk mine, we meet in the middle. And, you know, they just kind of talked about the reality of it, of like a 2020, if the internet had never been existed, Hmm. that's kind of what we would have. And right. there wouldn't be right. so much of this deep fakes and, you know, informer influencers. And, you know, maybe we might have the infotainment guys, you know, who are, but I, I think not even then, because, you know, you kind of had this rise of, you know, you're getting all your information from so many sources, nobody knows what's real. So I, I just think that's kind of interesting that, you know, um, you want to have your biases in for your, your, your information gathering. And I think everybody should really take that approach um, to just understanding the situation, especially before we barrel into a Facebook commenting a screaming match. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly,
1: exactly. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And even and even um, challenging your biases, right? And so, if you know that you lean a certain way, and this is, this is uh, not necessarily easy for anyone to do because you may have certain beliefs or what have you challenged, and you may have to question things, but if you lean a certain way and you have some knowledge there, go and read what people who disagree with you think about. You, you, you know what I mean? Just to better even inform what you're passionate about so that you're coming at it from a very nuanced point of view in and in a more informed point of view. And so, but I think the, the, the point you made, uh, the example that you gave about uh, like an environmentalist, right? Someone who, who is just naturally passionate about that and may perhaps become an uh, get into news. They're going to they're going to be a bit more informed about that than say perhaps the next reporter at the station who de- just isn't passionate about it hasn't really read up on it just unfamiliar with even some of the the, the language and the phraseology and what have you, um, and so just allowing that stuff to inform you, challenging your biases right and your own points of view uh, to make you, you know and then. Trying to keep that stuff in the cage, I think that's—I uh, think they taught us that in J school. Keep your biases in a cage, so to speak, so that you're not letting it out and and tampering and influencing and, and tainting a story, but just allowing that stuff to in, to inform it. And so, okay.
0: well, thank you, thank you. And then uh, my last question, question—the real question—I've been wondering. Sure. To, what are Hugh Perkins and Monica Gale like in
1: real life? <laughs> you know what, mommy, uh, Man, um, and this is weird. I was kind of saving some of this for, for whenever Hewell retires and we have to do a He's never incident. retiring, you know? <laughs> not
0: allowed. Not allowed.
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, Hewell is just so old school, stately, you know what I mean? And, and he's yeah. an alpha too, so he's like the quintessential old school alpha man, you, you know what I mean.
0: Yes, yes. Um, like, I am the Mr. Newscaster person. And I, I, he just, I, he's been this, this figure on TV for years. Years, I've I found some old footage of the Hudson uh, building implosion. Mm. And Monica Gale. And he is just like the same sort of composure. Dignified. Exactly.
1: Dignified. And, yes,
0: yes.
1: Dignified. Um, and to, to a certain extent that, uh, I don't know how healthy this is, but like, I, I, I still feel a way just when I'm conversing with them, like, I'm, still, I'm talking to Hill Perkins, just because the respect that I have for him. Know, you know you what know. I mean? Mm-hmm. Just the respect that I have for him. Monica Gale is so down to earth. You know, you, you, you see her on TV and you would think she's, you know, so lofty and everything. And she is, right? She's incredibly smart. She's brilliant. Um, a phenomenal writer. Uh, mm-hmm. like she she's all of that but she's so down to earth and just so cool like and and just the concern that she's uh ever since i've been here just shown for me my family um my kids and as i've I've had more kids and everything she's she's really she's good people she's good people both of them are both of them are good people and so yeah yeah. they they
0: really have been you know staples and yes kind of uh the journalism world and kind of watching you know they're they're they never miss a beat they never miss a beat Mm. and I, i think that's kind of like i think that's why i wanted to be a reporter when i was a kid you know because you're this trusted figure you come into people's homes each and every night and you know you you kind of become the source of you know what what information really is and you know what journalistic integrity really means, um, for, for, especially for communities, because it's, it's local news. And I think in some ways, you know, you're either gonna be one of those people who you pay attention to national news or you're not, but everybody at least watches, you know, the local news and, you know, they get information and, you know, um, the, the internet isn't really gonna take that away from, from folks. And, you know, I just wanna say, you know, thank you for everything that you guys do and you know, um, kind of keeping, 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 keeping things honest and telling the, the stories that are tough to tell. And I can imagine that you know, maybe the way some stories are told, you know, maybe people would prefer them to be seen in a different light. But um, I think that's that's kind of you know the whole mission and is is getting it right and getting out there and. Um, you know, kind of making sure that the right thing is done.
1: So. Indeed. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I do appreciate it. This was a very good convo. Yeah,
0: yeah. Thank you. Thank you. I feel like uh, I, I definitely learned a lot and um, I want to continue having, you know, this, this little web show that I have, or, you know, grow into something maybe a little bit more and then grow into something that I think I would like to, to steadily have people, um, and I think if, if it could involve some maybe have more commentary from people and more interacting and, mm. you know, that would that would definitely be nice to kind of get just more people's take on uh, issues and, and empower them. So in the process. So um, thank you for taking the time to, to chat with me more um, about these topics. And um, yeah, yeah, I, I respect you guys. And I mean, I've been watching you on TV for years. And I'm just like, oh my gosh, Randy Woodley. <laughs> it's just like, I'm I nobody. think was I started following you on Instagram, and then I think yeah. you liked one of my life, I'm Like, oh my god! And, so, <laughs> and then you reached out to me about "Quick to politic. and I'm like, somebody actually watches this. <laughs> um, but yes, yes, um, I really appreciate um, you taking the time to talk, and um, I hope I could pick your brain in the future yes. um, when it comes to connecting and storytelling, and being able to evolve that art.
1: No doubt. And and yeah, yeah. And hats off to you because what you're doing, you know, as a politician and still looking to inform and engage people to have these good conversations and conversations with folks in the uh, different political ideologies and what have you. And so I I think that's dope what you're doing. And so, and and I'm wishing and anticipating much success.
0: Ah! (laughs) (laughs) Okay um thank you very much and uh last last question and i'm gonna let you go for real sure is josh langdon single
1: um i i think he is i think he is i well you i, I don't uh well i already said i think he is but but i think he is you know so i mean I, yeah i i believe he is i, I don't yes. see him that often because he works in the morning i work at night you know right, so right. yeah yeah mm-hmm.
0: that wasn't a real question but like <laughs> <laughs> yes it was all right i am stopping recording a special thank you to randy wimley for joining us today and thank you for listening to the quick to politics podcast this is ernestine lyons your host see you next time thanks for listening